We're recording. We're live. <clears throat> live base camp beta from a beautiful day in uh, Prospect Park here. It is gorgeous out, yeah. Unexpectedly sunny. Sean's got his uh, tactical the carrying case. The Orca case, yeah. We we got the we got the mix pre in the Orca. So we're ready to like report from. We can go to like Ukraine and report live. Oh yeah, shit. yeah. Just a heads up uh, for promoters out there. We're ready to hit the ground, <clears throat> report live. I don't want to do that. No, I'm not doing it either, but I'm saying we could. <laughs> anything, anything's possible on Basecamp Beta. Anything's possible, baby. Yeah, <clears throat> we're, going, we're going big time. That's right. Yeah, no, as I was just saying, uh, I got the, the, the tactical recorder here. Uh, it's a little low on batteries, just a little bit. Are we talking like we have an hour or we have like... I, I think we got... Honestly, I think I would get two or three hours out of what, what's left here, but... Oh, uh, okay. Well, then we're good. I was just saying, like, yeah, like uh, last night, Katie and I were watching uh, Alone in the Dark or Wait Until Dark. What, uh, I, I don't know. I just... Wait Until Dark sounds like it's a movie from the 60s. Late 60s, Audrey Hepburn, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin, okay. Alan Arkin's fantastic in That it. sounds good. I've never seen an Audrey Hepburn movie. Uh, I honestly probably have not seen very many. Seems like one of those people that made a big splash, but I, I don't. She's iconic. She's iconic. Yeah, I just don't. I, but I don't, why? I've never seen her in a movie, right. <laughs> and I know it's because I haven't seen like the two movies that she's in. So uh, she's she was in more than two. No, like the big ones. Right, the you know? ones, whatever yeah. those are. I can't Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I never I don't saw. Th- yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Roman Holiday, maybe. Alone in the. I think it's called Alone in the Dark. She plays a blind woman. Okay. And Alan Arkin's a. Uh, a villain. It's scary. It's it's a little scary. Yeah, it's a, like a little bit humorous, a little bit whimsical, but but also like genuinely like pretty pretty intense psychological thriller. Psychological thriller. Um, very Hitchcock indebted, based on a play. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> uh huh. Is it like an early Columbo episode kind of vibe? Maybe. Like I mean, well, definitely scarier than that. Yeah. Okay. But but it, like it does have a little whimsy. Hmm. Um. But we were sampling some some of the music and dialogue from that, and then I left the recorder on mm. for like an hour and a half. When you're watching movies, do you do you want to lie? Do you often stop a movie and say, "I'm gonna"? Katie and I, Katie and I do that. Mostly, it's Katie's kind of uh, initiative. She has right. the uh, she has the brain for that. Yeah, I have the brain for making um, very complicated fart sounds. Yeah, oh, sure. Synthesizers. Yeah. That's yeah. you know. Pretty much the only thing my brain does. Does the mix pre help with recording your um, not your <laughs> fart sounds? <laughs> it helps. I know it helps with recording your fart sounds. Does it help with with tactically grabbing uh, snippets from? Yeah, well, movies. I, mean, I just leave it. It's generally just left by the uh, by the mixer, which is by the TV, right? Which we have an aux cable plugged into. So. Easy. This episode brought to you by Mix Pre Three. <laughs> is that the one? It's the Mix Pre uh, Mix Pre Two uh, Six. Okay, I was well, Sean six, got three. one like a couple months ago, and I want one. So this episode is brought to you by them. That's right. Wink, 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 wink. Free Mix Pre's all around. It's very funny because uh, um, we have always had technical issues with this show, and this is the first thing where the the startup from we should record a podcast to recording the podcast was that was about a minute. Right. Usually that's two hours. <laughs> right. And and there were seemingly no technical difficulties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's like there's always there's always little 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 glitches, little complications. Which yeah, we we've often remarked how <clears throat> ironic it is that a bunch of reasonably tech savvy musicians can't get a recorder to work. Take two. Thud. Let's <laughs> <laughs> <That was laughs> say what you will. Our comedic timing is impeccable. Uh, you that listeners survived. Yeah, everything's fine. All right, cool. Yeah, you listeners could not have 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 possibly witnessed the uh, the 
really effortless, uh, again, comedic timing of uh, Chris's, um, Chris's statement there, uh, which uh, immediately resulted in uh, a recorder plummeting to the ground. And good thing it's in the tactical bag. Uh, that's always come prepared. Always come prepared. Because that shit fell off and we're still recording. Yeah. So that's some that, orca bags. <laughs> it's heavy duty. Again, heavy duty. So yeah, um, foolproof recording method. Not so foolproof. Uh, we're back again here. I in the am. Park. I am the greatest of fools. Uh, I, you know, it can happen to anyone. I do, but but I, but it really happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it, we, yeah, we were remarking uh, the other day when we were recording how. Um, how, how we have a, a relatively foolproof uh, recording method now with a, a system that's very, very tight, very, very uh, hard to fuck up. It's and foolproof if you have more than five megabytes left on your <laughs> SD card. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there were probably more than five megabytes. Probably more like uh, there were probably about 250 megabytes left on it. Well, but if you're recording at this sweet, sweet <laughs> quality that we record at, <laughs> yeah. 96K, 32-bit. Gets you 15 minutes of recording. Yeah, so... Um, but that's because we want to give you all the best oral experience. Our take today is going to be way, way hotter and fresher. Yeah, I mean, we, this is a couple days post-festivals and jerk chicken, so uh, we're in a real different mindset. And gut set. Gut set, stomach, the mind-body connection, yeah. you know? Um, so we were talking last time about learning. If I don't know what made the recording, so it, so Sean recently uh, finished his undergraduate, and you were having some revelations about the process of learning. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure where things uh, left off, so it's probably better to just rewind a yeah. little bit. I um, went to a school called Bard College. You probably know it from the memes. Um, mostly from the Insane Johnny memes. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to that school when I was young and on a lot of LSD and kind of muddled through several years of that school. Did most of the things I needed to graduate, except doing my senior project. And then uh, when I hit my, my post-senior year, I decided it was much better to just move to New York rather than attempt to navigate bureaucracy through a, a cloud of substances and uh, a lot of vodka. So I wound up in New York, and flash forward 20 years, I finished, uh, I, you know, my wife Katie, also known from this podcast, of course, uh, she's been going back to school herself, and I was inspired to finish up my own undergrad. So, uh, and that really just entailed finishing this senior project and writing a, uh, a paper for a jazz class, um, which... Uh, Amazingly, I was able to complete 20 years later with the same professor. So I, I, I now have the, um, you know, the, I've checked off the bucket list, uh, you know, requirement of um, handing in a paper 20 years late. Very proud of that. Um, and then I, I've been working on my senior project at Bard remotely over the last, uh, over the fall and the, the spring. Um, and the project has been um, a, a really fun, uh, just a fun endeavor all around. Um, Inspired by Tarar, a uh, French showman from the, the uh, 18th century, who was famed for eating everything, disgusting things, large quantities of things, had some clear, clearly some physical uh, and you know kind of brain abnormalities. Sounded sort of like it might have been pica pica. And again, he was super thin. Yes, yeah, rail according thin. To, yeah, ra yeah, according to to, to document slash myth, uh, rail thin. Uh, pale and kind of wretched looking, um, emitted a foul odor, and um, yeah, would just eat live snakes, would eat, you know, uh, stones, whatever, but then would also eat, like, entire tables, like banquets fit for 15, 20 people. He would consume them all, and uh, his belly would swell up, and he would fall asleep. And uh, so, yeah, this really grotesque figure died, died from tuberculosis uh, after a bout of exudative diarrhea, bemoaning... Um, a golden fork. He, he had eaten a fork years prior and said this fork was lodged in his stomach and it was causing, uh, causing his deteriorating health. Punctured some shit and <laughs> just bleeding, bleeding from the inside. I, I buy it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I made a, uh, a sort of electroacoustic music concrete-esque uh, suite 
of um, uh, pieces uh, inspired by slash dedicated to uh, this this lovely uh, creature. Um, so that that that's that's been just a really fun fun and cool thing, and I got to explore a bunch of musical techniques that uh, I'd either wanted to kind of probe into or things that I had just kind of only delicately investigated in the past. So. And when we were, t- we were talking a little bit about those techniques and what I thought was really interesting was you were talking about um, the process of learning techniques and learning uh, ways of making music from others yeah. being a refreshing change of pace yeah we we we, yeah we had started discussing um uh i I thought this was a really interesting framing i I think you 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 kind of brought this up that like kind of like the music scenes that we've all been involved with for so long really um really privilege this um this kind of extreme autodidacticism yeah where like you know if you learn something from someone somehow you're cheating or you're uh, a faker or a poser or you're stealing someone else's uh, ideas or you know whatever that like you've somehow like violated your your artistic purity uh, by just learning from yeah someone. the purest expression is just it's this kind of belief that pure expression comes from come comes from nothing yeah yeah from yourself fully and and with no outside influence yeah and of course like that that that, that really bears like no scrutiny because well, everyone's course, watching like youtube tutorials and shit so <laughs> right. yeah i mean it's we, we all we all read manuals and talk to friends anyway yeah. and you know um yeah like but like there is this like sort of fetishistic like thing in techno and noise or you know any of the kinds of music we're into which really kind of castle I don't know. Looks down on on that kind of mentorship, or looks down on the idea of learning from others. Yeah, and and, and doubly so learning through institutions, of course. That like, um, yeah, you know, it like kind of uh, my a big part of my artistic practice was kind of a, a dual rejection of both the academic institution, but also the kind of commercial, uh, the confines of commercial techno too. So. Um, which is totally like, I mean, there's a lot to critique about academic institutions. They <laughs> yeah, suck sure. and they're vampires and, you know. <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> Stockhausen serves imperialism. Yeah. <laughs> Quietly a very formative text for me back in my uh, or initial <laughs> bard, uh, bard education. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so going back to school has been really interesting kind of realizing... Um, and I, I was saying previously um, how, like, kind of what led into me wanting to go back to school in, in no small part was, um, uh, like, a year and a half ago, I was kind of in a creative rut, and I had been working on this edit series, um, doing edits of, like, uh, Cosmic Records and, like, New Wave Records on the, the wrong speed. Chris has the, uh, like, you know, 27 gigabyte uh, archive oh, yeah. of them. <laughs> And uh, so I was working on this edits project and was realizing how I could use some technical assistance. So I had my, my good friend, Phil Moffa, give me some lessons just on kind of, uh, you know, the basics of Pro Tools operation, which, you know, I, I'd used Pro Tools as a glorified four track for a decade. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, like kind of really helped refine my whole mixing and kind of like mastering process and all that shit. Um, and that really kind of helped me realize the degree to which, um, the degree to which like learning was actually a useful thing. Right. <laughs> that when, when you have someone who knows what they're doing, um, and who is a, a good and patient teacher walk you through processes, it just, it, it takes a lot. You, you can get there yourself. You can usually get there yourself, but it's going to take 10 or 20 times longer. Well, what's interesting is also in techno and electronic music in general is the belief not only that purest the purest music comes from some from purely within and isn't influenced externally but then also like you're expected to mix your own music yeah you're expected to i mean no one really expects you to master your own music but you're expected to do every single thing up to that point um and any other people involved in that um you know, there is, again, this kind of 
I don't know, the, this kind of belief that that lessens the artistic merit of the product or something. Yeah, absolutely. Which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's something that doesn't really bear much scrutiny. Because um, obviously, like, no one makes anything in a vacuum. No one yeah. learns anything in a vacuum. If you're invested in, in, a, in a musical scene you're gleaning information from other people constantly. You're, part, you're, you're gifting people information constantly. Um, it's really, uh, it's a really disturbing and, and uh, kind of toxic social environment if you're not exchanging information. Yeah. And um, it's also, I mean, all of your favorite records, I mean, there are plenty of people involved, you know. With a lot, oh, sure, a lot of them, yeah. I mean, so, some of, some, there are certainly some 90s techno records that are incredible that were, more or less the product of one eccentric yeah, visionary. Yeah. But yeah, plenty of them were, were, were joint studio efforts with, you know, 5, 10, 20 people involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, certainly, obviously, like if, you know, you go listen to any band you like, well, yeah, you know, who knows how many hands were involved yeah, in course, those yeah. records. Um, but techno does really kind of and, 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 and noise and other, other you know, facets of experimental music um, tend to really privilege that kind of, uh, like, lone genius auteur, uh, eccentric auteur thing, which is um, uh, uh, kind of an unfortunate fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is totally a, a fantasy basically most of the time. Yeah. So what did you, what do you think you learned going through this process, working on this piece with, you worked with some acoustic musicians, um, you know, you, you were having dialogues with lots of people when you were working on this piece, which was, you know, a little different. It, it was not a 400 PPM record. No, no, I mean, like, like you know, I, I, I think the, my, my general sonic palette kind of shines through, I think, no matter what kind of form my music takes. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, like this, this is certainly a deviation from, you know, my, my more recent, uh, recent is in the last decade or so techno endeavors. Um, you know, w when I was at Bard initially, and this is kind of a big part of the project, uh, kind of spiritually, like I, I studied with Richard, Richard Teitelbaum, uh, and Bob Balecki, but Richard, who was in a uh, music electronica Viva, um, you know, really, great composer and really great instructor and he um he he conducted the electroacoustic ensemble that i was part of many 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 semesters and um you know he was very much about kind of like um uh sort of playing along with your your physical environment what did you play in the ensemble I played um sometimes laptop so sometimes i would bring like a laptop usually running audio mulch um, although I, I probably tried to like do some some fruity loops, mm. you know, kind of yeah. live fuckery, which would have been very rudimentary. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I would, I would play audio mulch. Um, sometimes I would borrow synthesizers from friends. I had a Juno 106 that I brought frequently. That obviously very very limited for electroacoustic. Uh, I was gonna say purposes. yeah, that's a noise machine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's really nothing you can do. It's white noise filter sweeps. Uh, yeah, you know. Um, but actually, sometimes that, that can be quite nice. Sure, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, you know, I was playing with uh, 10 to 20 other people. So, um, You provide a couple noise things here. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Or, you yeah. know, like a, whatever sine waves, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which so, the Juno does not have. Well, but it has a resonating filter. Oh, good good point. Damn. Yeah. I, I know my Juno. Yeah, yeah, it's a Juno. <laughs> um, Juno was too rich for my blood. I was, I was never... A polysynth guy. Oh, I got it for two hundred and sixty dollars or something because this was two thousand one. Oh yeah, good two thousand. Yeah, yeah. No. I got a, I, the only polysynth I ever had was a JX three P, which I got for three hundred dollars. That's a very good deal for a very good synth. And you're, you're, did you sell it? I sold it. Yeah. That's sad but fair. I mean, I'm selling everything, so yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, all that is to say, like, like that the process of, of live performance in that context was something that really laid the foundation for most of my work in 
in all of my projects in the, in the subsequent two decades. There was always a kind of privileging of, um, of playing in, in really, you know, engaging musically in these live contexts and improvising in these contexts. But for this project, you were using the computer quite a lot and in ways that were more than just a four-track recorder. I mean, were you doing kind of non-linear editing of it? And, yeah, there's, there, there's, there's a lot of editing for sure. Um, not a lot, and, a, and a lot of spatial processing. Right. Um, not like much in the way of, um, there's, there's no real sound generation from within the computer itself, but, but definitely like the computer has taken a, a larger role in my, in my composition and, and much, much, much more in my mixing process, um, yeah. engineering process than it was previously where it was really basically like, you know, just a four track. There was mm. rarely any, any like, you know, bus compression or something. I might compress a baseline a little bit. Um, and, you know, I would use some EQ, but really, like, I try to do as little in the computer as possible. And that also is, like, one of those um, kind of, like, stubborn markers of authenticity that right. I had to kind of, like, uh, yeah. shed. That, you know, like, actually, it's really fine to use the computer for reverb. It sounds a lot better than your shitty pedal. <laughs> um, and you can do more interesting things with it as far as, like, you know, EQing and, uh, and kind of, uh, you know, situating it in the stereo field. Yeah. So that's been a really, that's been also a very fun and interesting process. Um, something also very, very much guided by, by my, my, my lessons uh, earlier last year with Phil Moffa, who really is a wonderful genius and a great teacher. So, um, yes, that, all that is to say, like, yeah, learning's cool, learning's great. It's, it's really fun. Uh, making music is great. Everyone should make music and everyone should learn. Learning's yeah. tight. Uh, yeah, you were in a bit of like a. I mean, we. I think we both have been in. I mean, every musician's in creative ruts all the time, and I think with COVID, people got into quite a creative rut. Even though sort of culture at large was saying, oh, "Work on your masterpiece," you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and as far as I know, no one did that. Um, I mean, you 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 do see. I've seen a lot of um, people's COVID records coming out, which usually mm -hmm. is a little. Um, frankly cringeworthy if it makes explicit reference to it it's extremely yeah cringe, people, yeah. yeah this is definitely like a kind of micro genre of people being like yeah like oh well you through through covid isolation i was yeah exploring right. my dreams quarantine and, tracks yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and it's you know it's generally the same uh, kind of banal ambient record that everyone makes <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean whatever it's it's fine <laughs> but yeah uh i'm i'm not making covid tracks <laughs> Other, but, than, other than that, they are very diseased sounding. <laughs> well, yeah, but but so this got you kind of out of that rut, you yeah. think? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, there's a bunch of things that I'm looking forward to playing around with creatively. Um, that you know, yeah, I, I, ha I hadn't been inspired for a while, like as as we've discussed often on on the show and even more in in private. Yeah, um, just uh, the de the degree to which. Um, a lot of us were just kind of tired, frustrated, bored, uh, depressed, working within the confines of techno. That, um, you know, it was just something that was not rewarding personally or creatively or, you know, in any way um, for, for some time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do want to explore a lot of the kind of ideas and palette and techniques that I've been working with in actually a kind of quasi dance music context i'm really looking forward to that as a summer project but um but yeah it's been really good to just kind of kind of break out of that and mm. again also like reconnect with kind of reconnect with my my 20 year old self in a lot of ways so just you think by like a major way by just going back to college where you were in your early 20s yeah yeah, yeah. and like you know like like, like the school has changed a lot in some ways, but also the spirit of the school is very much the same. Um, my advisors were both fantastic and both very, very much in the spirit of the school. I worked with um, uh, Matt Sargent in the fall and then Sarah Hennies in the spring. And, um, and they were both just like super cool and super, you know, just um, uh, really, really good teachers and really like, like sharp ears. Um, it just kind of gave me a lot of, um, uh, a lot of like, very 
potent but subtle guidance, basically. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, like like this 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 whole thing has been very much a uh, a healing process for me. And the surge is still there. Yes, unchanged. Yes, yes the the very same surge that I learned on from Richard Teitelbaum twenty something years ago um, is uh, is still at Bard and and played a significant role in. Uh, in, in these compositions, so that 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 also was very, very uh, kind of spiritually fulfilling to go back to that synthesizer. That like when I was nineteen, twenty, twenty, I, I had no idea what I was doing with that thing. It was, yeah. it, I mean, I, I I I'm a reasonably capable synthesist at this point, and it's still very much a head scratcher. Yeah, but um, but it's still go- going back and actually knowing what I was doing, kind of, and being able to actually reliably get um you know, to get things out of this thing that was a lifetime ago, uh, utterly inscrutable, felt very, uh, it, it felt, it felt important to me. Hell yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll be a college graduate in, uh, in a few days. Beautiful. <laughs> what are we doing to celebrate? Uh, what are we doing? We should do something. Yeah, we should do, uh, more jerk chicken, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Classic BCB style. More festivals. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we should get some pizzas. Maybe a pizza pie. <laughs> yeah, we can. We can bring the. We can bring the show back to L and B. Eat yeah, on air. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. No. I think it's a good idea. That's a great idea. Let's do it. Because I mean, it. I gotta get some L and B before I leave town. <laughs> yeah. but, you, know. you were you were you were angling for that last week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Uh, Oh, back to the one of the ever recurring sub themes of the show. My stomach has not been handling pizza well lately, but I'll but I'll do it for the show. I'll do it for the show. Is it the cheese? I think it's the, specifically like the combination of cheese with napalm tomato sauce. What if, what if, you know, what if we do a marinara, no cheese? I mean, I yeah, we could we can do that. We can do that. New tomato pie. Just just tomato pie anchovies. Tomato pie is a very. Uh, very like deep um, primordial uh, food for me. Yeah, I mean it's a, a, a childhood food. Actually, my parents. Oh God, what, Tony, Tony, Tony for tone? No, 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 not. There, my 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 father's a, a jeweler, and he worked in the jewelry industry. And um, some uncut gem shit. Some uncut gem shit in in um in in the suburbs of Philly, and uh, one of his uh, like kind of uh, you know industry colleagues. I think it was, I think it was Virgil. I think his name was Virgil, Uncle Verge. Is that right? Now my memory, my forty-one, my memory's going to shit. Anyway, one of one of my father's uh, business business uh, colleagues would would bring tomato pies from mm. from South Philly. Those uh, are good tomato pies from South Philly. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Let's get a tomato pie. Let's get a tomato pie. You don't need the cheese, honestly. Maybe, maybe it gets a little pecorino on it. If you can do pecorino, we can do pecorino. <laughs> I'm saying anchovies as a kind of, you know, dairy-free I mean, anchovies, substitute. Anchovies are good. Anchovies are good. Do they do a, a tomato pie at uh, LMB? I don't know, but I'm sure we could ask. I feel like their sauce, and, and now we're going, we're going into pizza BCB, we're going back which, to... which is always A-OK by, by me, and I, I'm sure it's fine by all of our listeners. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how the wonder how the LMB sauce. Well, we talked works. very extensively last episode about the whole cheese and uh, the crumb. Yeah, yeah, it kind of all merges together into one. The event horizon of <laughs> of the. It's, it's uh, like the it's it's like um it's like uh, the layers of uh, of soil really right. Yeah, right. It's like a geological fucking. Um, <laughs> yeah. What's what's the layer when like the topsoil turns into the? Uh, the I don't know. You just did the earth science <laughs> yeah, yeah, class. Why the fuck just, are you asking me? Yeah, I should I should know this. This we didn't we didn't really cover that stuff too much. No. Uh, dang. Yeah, I, but I'm wondering how the sauce, the sauce on Spumoni Gardens, how that would work uh, on just a tomato pie because the sauce is pretty sweet. It is pretty sweet. We could do like a. I mean, there's other options. Go to Totono's. I've never been to Totono. You've never been actually. to Totono. Damn. Where is it again? This is now just another pizza episode. Damn. Um, Coney <laughs> Island. Neptune Ave. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that could be fun. 
It's one of my, I mean, it's one of the best. If we get down there before it gets too hot. I mean, <laughs> too late because it was too fucking hot this weekend. That's that's true. But well, it's nice today. Yeah, yeah. Nice and chill today. We can check the weather. That would be, I, I mean, we, we've we we've never done a, a, a BCB at Coney Island episode. That's true. Shit, should we call it Maria 909? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I probably said, or no, I I did say it on the show before. That she brought the LMB to uh, a bunker party that I was playing once. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, let's let's we'll we'll we'll, we'll do a pizza pizza pod. We got to get that in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm go- going up to graduate on Saturday, so that'll be fun. Beautiful. Uh, and then yeah, we'll we'll figure out the pizza pot in the, mm-hmm. the next next week or so. But uh, yeah, I, I can't remember if there's anything else um, pressing on the on the me front. Probably not. I made a bunch of clanging sounds with uh, you know some very very talented uh, bard musicians I worked with and. Had them play their instruments wrong. They were brilliant, brilliant. And um, you hooked up some microphones in the uh, church yard, church avenue. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that composition still needs a little work. I, I'm, I need to revisit that a bit. Mm. But yeah, the, ha- ha- happy with the product. It was it was fun and interesting. It's um, good stuff. I enjoyed it. I listened to it. I was. Very hungry. <laughs> and it was in a really weird place afterwards. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. That's good. should always, always listen to my music hungry. So mission accomplished. That's, that's good. That's good. I felt a spiritual kinship with Tara. <laughs> um, but yeah, what 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 is what? So what else is going on? I don't with know. Let's you? get fucking mindful. Like we're in the park right now. Mindful. You know? What's mindful. going on? Let's be present. Take a deep breath. We're, you know, it's like the typical fucking flight path. So there's planes flying overhead. I, I worked on field recording a lot with this project, and just kind of in general over the last year, and and quite often in the park itself. Mm. And. Field recording is a really interesting kind of meditative process. That oh yeah, let's really, get into it. Really attunes you to your environment in a different way that can be genuinely like really trippy. It can be very, very much like sort of, I mean, just straightforwardly like meditation. Was there what, what was there one sound that like you kind of started tripping out to? Like you started focusing too much on it, or was it like, or was there one time where you were doing a recording and? A couple of things start combining and pulling your attention. Into well, I mean, specifically what prompted this was the, the planes going overhead, which is a reminder of, uh, well, one, just like the, the, the product, the project, uh, or just the working on field recording in general attuned me to how fucking loud New York is. Yeah, It's right. a very loud city. And you get to the park and you think, oh, I'm getting to the park. I'm getting away. It does feel a lot quieter in the park. Yeah, except when you actually listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then when you listen, yeah. it's just a, it's a sheet of noise. Yeah, it's a sheet. Of, there's you still hear the cars here constantly. Yeah, and the planes, the planes are the planes, are. I mean, you can hear them now. They never go away. And crime is out of control. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right now, and true old man sits on a bench, complains about fucking New York zone. The city you, is so fucking loud. <laughs> but you're but but you're totally right. And the funny thing about field recording is, I feel like. Um, with field recording, there's always this desire to get a like pure natural recording and to try and like get rid of any right, right, like sounds of modernity, sounds right. of planes, sounds of cars, right. Any, any anything incidental like that was is, is undesirable when yeah, it's, yeah. That's that's I mean that that can be that can be the approach you want, but often that's that's the wrong way to 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 embrace it. You don't want to try to isolate like. You don't want to try to isolate the the one desirable sound. You want to appreciate the environment for what it actually is. Well, yeah, you're, at that point you're trying to you're like just wishing you were somewhere else. Yeah, and not wishing engaging. you were just recording in a studio. Yeah, like, yeah, it's really what it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, like need to get some birds in the studio. But so, like, what were some sounds you were focused on 
when you were recording that kind of pulled you in or um, led you on this kind of yeah this this sort of like meditative well well like like pl planes and traffic particularly in in new york take on a different resonance right um like both 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 as an undesirable you know scare quotes presence of noise uh but also as just kind of a uh just a very loaded meaningful expression of the of the environment like the natural environment itself right um and I, I just and again just like a, they really are a constant texture it's it's really just a sheet of noise when you actually listen um so that that was definitely one of the big ones um or two two of the big ones i i did a lot of recording just while walking around in the neighborhood sort of um kind of spatial um you know, kind of uh, headphones on, holding a microphone out. No, no, no. I would actually um, either uh, affix the microphones to um, to my recording bag, or um, sometimes actually just like onto like a jacket or something. Mm. Um, and th those were interesting. They weren't necessarily very musically productive, but they were very interesting. Um, interesting experiences. Again, just kind of attuning oneself to the musicality of the environment. Is that? Um, did you have headphones on? Were you listening to no, the mic? No, no, okay. no headphones for those. Because uh, that's kind of interesting. Because when you do put a mic on and have headphones and walk around, you listen to your environment in a very different way. Even though you're just kind of yeah, yeah. There's a, well, another another layer of mediation. Yeah, <clears throat> totally. Um, no, I know. I mean, maybe I did that once or twice, but that wasn't that wasn't much of like the regular practice there. Um, but. Um, but yeah, th those kind of um, uh, those recordings, those these sort of um, kind of sonic diary slash kind of like spatial navigation recordings um, did serve as really kind of useful compositional tools for me in a way, um, just as far as like. Um, um, I, I don't want to go as far as to say as using them as scores. Mm. But um, just uh, again, attuning oneself to the musicality, like the, the kind of spatial musicality of, of an environment, um, and kind of composing in a way to evoke that kind of navigating through space. Mm -hmm. Were you using like two mics for a kind of XY or yeah, yeah, binaural well, I, image I, or something? I, I borrowed the Usi Pros from, uh, from right. our, our good buddy MPC. Um, another, another, another shout out that deserves shouting. Um, and yeah, those are, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, like sturdy, cheap, but very detail, uh, detailed mics. So I, I have the stereo pair, um, and, uh, yeah, like all, all of, all of the outdoor field recordings were done with, with the UCs pretty much, um. I want to get some of those. I want to, like, my, when I think about where I'd like to be, who I'd like to be in my older age, um, it's all these, like, I watched this video once of, like, a 80-year-old Luke Ferrari walking around a carnival. That sounds great. <laughs> just, like, with his headphones on and with, like, <laughs> giant microphones just recording everything and looking like a complete freak. <laughs> and I thought that was tight. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, getting over the... It was a big hurdle for me, honestly, to get over the self-consciousness of walking around with visible recording yeah. uh, equipment. Um, it, it took me, actually, probably several months to, to stop being kind of, uh, kind of sheepish and neurotic about it. I mean, I think part of that comes from... I don't know. I, there, if I see someone with recording gear, you know, I think we don't all love to be recorded. You know, there's a kind of... There's suspicion, a suspicion, yeah. Yeah, there's a suspicion. There's a kind what of... What is this person doing? What the, what, what the, what, what's their game? What are they... A justifiable suspicion, you know, and just a kind of, you know, like, it seems like we're always being recorded all the time. And so, you know, to see one more visible instance of, of that is can be a bit off-putting, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but at the same time, you're just... The, as a recorder, you're just you're an artist. You're just doing your thing. It's, you're just an artist. And 
There's certainly no shame in that. No, there's no shame in being an artist. No shame in being a weirdo. No. No shame invading others' privacy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's great. <laughs> um, the Usis are, are annoyingly very difficult to get. Um, is supply chain? I think it's actually just how they roll. Oh, okay. They're very desirable, and they go up for sale. You get like the email like a week before, and they give you a time, and mm. they sell out within five minutes. So, right. Um, it's kind of annoying to try to get them. Um, you can blame it on the supply chain. You can blame it on Brandon. That, that damn supply chain. Yeah. Fucking everything up. This is an economics podcast now. We're talking supply chain. <laughs> Two guys, no clue what they're talking about, talk about the supply chain. Damn, you know, it's just like, it's the goddamn supply chain, man. That's why I can't get my, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of traffic over here, man. <laughs> it's it's beautiful, though. It's a beautiful day, but my brain is a little, you know, after sitting on the BQE for five hours. <laughs> oh, gee, were you on the BQE for five hours? Well, not five. It's a slight hyperbole, but it was <laughs> it was long enough. Yeah. The uh, the skateboarders we can hear right now were were actually a a, a point of kind of meditative focus uh, a few mm, times. Right. This is we're, we're right in the middle of uh, Prospect Park and one of the little kind of. Uh, yeah. Who are we sitting under right here? We got uh. That's Carl. We got Grieg. Grieg, and over there's Carl Maria von Weber, I think. Yeah, some good it, Germans. Is his name is like some name? It's a familiar name, but I'm not sure why. Well, you're the you're the history buff amongst I us. I know, but I'm a fucking sham, dude. I'm, <laughs> I recognize the name, but I don't know why. <laughs> I have no point of reference. It says something on the bottom of the of the statue, but uh, that one has. Though we have a mobile tactical it. recording rig. Uh, I'm not walking over there to look at it. No, 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 not worth it. Not no, worth it. I don't know. We're gonna stand here and we're just gonna sit here and speculate. Okay, now we got some birds in the tree. This is just the podcast now. So we got some <laughs> birds in the tree over here, um, making some kooky sounds, crazy shit. I, yeah. Mike's probably not picking it up, but damn, if you were here, you'd be hearing it. The mic might be getting it. I w- I'm <laughs> Should we? Okay, yeah, let's try. <laughs> okay, that was a good one. So if that it's, didn't if that didn't pick up, then I don't know what. It, it, no, it's de- definitely definitely picking up. All right. <clears throat> well, is that is that a wrap then? What I don't know. What are where are we at? We had thirty eight minutes there. That's thirty eight minutes. Yeah, 38. Oh, shit, okay. Um, We can keep going. Yeah, you keep going. Is there more birds to record? I mean, there's birds all around us. It's the, the music music of, of, of Gaia. <laughs> no, let's get one more riff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess we should probably have a... Uh, podcast later when we talk about your departure oh yeah i guess so don't know if that makes sense to talk about now there's not much to talk about i'm moving yeah you're moving that's it it's weird Uh, i'm moving to barcelona which is tight but it's also weird because i've lived here my whole life so uh that part is weird but it's exciting but it's exciting and it's super tight and uh yeah, but we're, we're going to keep up the podcast. Yeah, I mean, this we'll, should not we'll, this we'll, should not change the frequency of base campaign episodes. <laughs> right, <laughs> we'll, we'll still get our two episodes a year, and <laughs> and that's that'll be great. <laughs> um, I, who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe we'll even record more frequently. Um, but <laughs> that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, but no, but yeah, it, for the listener, that should not this should not change anything. <laughs> <laughs> the listener singular. <laughs> Whoever's still with us um, at this point but, in the but show. But no, like like uh, like moving is a big deal and pretty. It's exciting. extremely stressful. Uh, that is also true. Um, if I can give any advice, don't buy records and don't buy synthesizers. 
<laughs> ever. Ever, because that'll make your life a lot easier. No, I mean, I've moved like, you know, 500 times like anyone else, you yeah, know. Yeah, well, especially in the last, like, in the last yeah, three, moved four many, years, you've moved like. Yeah, too many times. Like eight times in the last four years or it's something? It's some ridiculous. But it's always, you know, packing up a car with a bunch of boxes, uh, you know, and it's fine. It's, you know, you, you, you treat your moving day as like, you know, uh, a good day for exercise. You move, right. you know, 30 boxes of records. Right. You know, pick them up put them in the car, you know, that kind of thing. Um, bit of a different story moving across uh, the ocean. That's an ocean. It's a whole ocean. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I have right now selling a bunch of stuff, um, which is cool. You know, just you, you really enjoy stuff. selling stuff, too. Uh, dude, I've gotten into selling stuff, man. The, like, your, the ru- I mean, your Discogs uh, The Marcus. rush I get from a... <laughs> From a nice Discogs order, beats buying records every time, <laughs> and I hate to admit it, but it just—it really does. But yeah, I'm 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 always really impressed by uh, how how organized and methodical you are about the the the, the Discogs shop. Yeah, I love it. I don't know what it like. I don't know if I were still. I don't know. It doesn't make sense for me to. Like I've always lived in an apartment, so it doesn't make any sense to like do a warehouse. But I kind of think would. like running, <laughs> yeah, like a little discog shop, like our friends over at Boom Service or something, would be kind of tight. <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it. I cataloging. It's uh, it's it's so bizarre to me because like if I've uh, the few times I have sold records via like um, uh, discog, I think I sold, sold records once or once or twice on discogs. Maybe maybe not ever, but uh, several times on eBay. And it's an absolute nightmare for me. It gives me a panic attack. Oh God, I gotta find a way to pack this, and then I gotta ship this it. I gotta go to the buy. post office. No, it's easy. I know my people at the <laughs> post office. I'm there multiple days a week. I've got my mailers <laughs> always with a shit, you know, always a shitload of mailers at home, ready to go. Yeah, I mean, I get out probably, you know, in a good week. Good week, like six to seven orders a week. That's a lot. It's a, I mean, it's a lot. It's good. Um, so yeah, trying to, trying to muscle out the remaining. I think I got 250 records left. So that's the goal: to sell 250 records this month. That's impressive because you you've really like trimmed the collection down from a few thousand. Yeah, yeah. Which is good because you know, it's it's also nice to you know do the, as cringe as it may be, the sort of you know. Marie Kondo, Marie the fuck Kondo out. look at your records and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't. This, I don't. this does not spark joy. And also, it's just you know, I think we've maybe talked about this before, but like as a, like when I was younger, when I was like nineteen or whatever, in my head it was like, okay, I need enough records to play like a sick set on on records like a sick eight hour set on records sure, right like yeah. uh, any dj worth his salt is going to be able to like come with a crate of records and and play for like eight hours yeah and it's not just you know you can't just have eight hours work on music oh you gotta have the right you gotta have a, enough variety to be able to pick the right shit and you got to be able to go opening set techno peak hour closing set you have to you gotta you gotta have have, have different you, different different tools for every possible you have game. to have eight hours of electro on the off chance that you know <laughs> you're doing it in rotterdam or whatever gotta and make sure you have a couple hours of freestyle on a tallow is on the off chance that you're playing a picnic exactly <laughs> and so i think i think i operated under that uh, you know sort of like driving belief for a long time which was easy to begin to believe even more when you start playing uh and djing more um, the 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 mid aughts delusional bubble that a lot of us were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm getting gigs. Yeah, they're paying me. Yeah. this is gonna this is gonna keep going. <laughs> but even if it were to keep going, like you know, very right, right. soon after, I was actually it was funny. I was I was playing on CDs until like 2016. I would bring a binder of CDs because okay. I didn't realize I was like, oh, it's probably not standard yet for the CDJs to have like a USB thing. Right. Um, it was well past it being standard, but I was still burning CDs. And I remember going to the last Radio Shack because all the Radio Shacks had like closed down, and there was one on Flatbush Avenue. The the one on Flatbush over here? No, like near Atlantic. 
Okay, because like there, there, there's a Radio Shack on... on there's there one was, still over here? There, no, was there one was, right. on Flatbush, like a block from King's Theater, which I used to go to. It was my Radio Shack for so many years. I just remember buying a tower of 100 CDRs, and I was like, damn, is this it? It's, it's over. <laughs> is this it? This is the last time I'm going to be fucking burning CDs? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know... By uh, by the middle of the uh, of the uh, tens, it was pretty clear that uh, you know CDs were not gonna well. Be not just that, but but records. I mean, you know, you, yeah. like you were going to be, you know, everyone was playing off a thumb drive, and you know, yeah. um, it was easier and better for everyone. So um, so it's been nice to go through all the records and you know keep you know I'm like not getting rid of anything I love dearly, but you know. And yeah, I don't know. I enjoy it. I I like making spreadsheets. I like doing data entry. Oh, I like absolute absolute hell to me. I like cataloging and going through and pack. I love packing orders, man. <laughs> going through, picking the records, packing those. Are, if you order records from me, by the way, that's gonna be packed with love because I enjoy the shit out of it. <laughs> so you're you're if you love buying records, just know that you're buying from someone who loves selling records, like on a very visceral fucking level. So. Oh God! It's, it's I I I love that you love selling records, and I really do not love selling. I, and and it's fucked up. Is. It's fucked up because I've been doing it for years now, and I'm kind of like, wait, wait, hold on. So like, I'm moving. So what the fuck am I gonna? I'm gonna get rid of all the records. So now I'm gonna arrive. You're not what? gonna have any records to sell. I'm not gonna know the fucking post office guys because. Uh, I'm not going to be selling records because ostensibly I've trimmed the collection down. To yeah, the... you're going to have to start buying records over there to sell them. Well, I sell everything at a major loss. <laughs> <laughs> so, hmm. But it is. I, don't I, know. I wonder if you're selling at a major loss though, because like I mean, I mean, for every record, net, net, that... probably I mean, yeah, probably I mean, a net loss, but yeah. but maybe not that much of a net loss because a lot of a, a lot of times you'll sell, you know. You'll sell some, you know, Perlon records for three dollars, but then you'll sell a, you know, a whatever a Radiohead remix record for eighty dollars. Weirdly, the Perlon records have gone up, up, up. That actually doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, some of the Perlon stuff has been as guns. You know, it's a nice little return on those. But, um, <laughs> but sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's definitely a net loss. You know, not not like the biggest net loss. Not like I bought every record for you know twelve dollars and I'm selling it for three. But, um, you know, it's not the. It's not lucrative. It's not the most fiscally responsible <laughs> thing in the world, but I bought a lot of records during the three years of my life where I had a job, and uh, basically just recouping that, <laughs> scrounging off myself from 12 years ago. I mean, that's all that we have left, right? Yeah. We're, we're just cannibalizing every little scrap just to keep keep the engine going. Yeah. Oh, I love the 21st century. It's good stuff. I'm moving to Barcelona, so I'm uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> you 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 you, uh, you got your lotto ticket out of here. I got yeah. Lucky you. Just as the country really, really goes to shit. Has it ever? I mean, it's always it's been always going been to shit. shit. Who it's are we kidding? Going yeah. Shit, so. And you know, it's Spain. Let's not you know get ahead of ourselves here. I mean, Spain's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet, but you know, it's not like uh, you know. I think there's a delusion within the U.S. that, like, everywhere else is, like, significantly better. Everywhere else is better. <laughs> I'm not going to, like, deny that. <laughs> but, like, you know, your insurance, like, even though it's, like, public insurance, it's still, they still try to fuck you a little bit. Sure, no, so, no, of course. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not paradise. Yeah, yeah, I mean... It was definitely surprising to me the first uh, after the first couple times of going over to Europe, you know, qu- quite some time ago, whatever, 10, 10, 10 12, 12, 15 years ago. Um, having this idea as, Amer- as an American of going to Europe where, like, everyone is just very sophisticated and, and uh, you know, very uh, have progressive views. And actually, no, it's, yeah, it no. is a lot like America. There's... There's still giant swaths of racist backwaters, and uh, you know, yeah, it's, and, and I mean, like, still, still, like, like psychotic nationalism pervades a lot of countries and a lot of, a lot of regions. Totally, and things are better there, but you know, just it, from a sort of you know social democracy view and from a kind of you know social services point of view, things are unquestionably better yeah. there. But you know, the quality the, of life is is not, notably better. Notably all. better, but the trend has been austerity there too. Yes, um, so you know, things are kind of moving in 
a different direction there as well. So, you know, um, I don't know. I'm psyched. <laughs> you, you, you should be. You should be. You're going to get some good seafood. That's the most important thing, man. As a sardine lover, as, you know, um, <laughs> someone who loves a, loves a squid. I, I still eat octopus. I know everyone watched that Netflix movie and is now not eating octopus. Cause is that, I, what, that what happened? It's yeah, because like I live in a story and I'm always like, hey, let's go out and get some seafood. And everyone, we go out and I'm like, this place has good octopus and no one wants to eat the octopus huh. anymore. So this, this Netflix thing, like humanized octopuses, is that it? I mean, yeah, octopuses are, octopuses are tight, but, you know. Yeah, they're reasonably intelligent. They're reasonably intelligent. So is a cow. So yeah, yeah well, it's a weird metric. I don't know. I think I think it's maybe just uh, you know seeing it up close, and 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 uh, I think for a lot of people, getting that sort of more. I mean, the cephalopods. The, 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 the cephalopods are one of the more sustainable creatures for us to consume, anyway. So. That was what I understood. Yeah, like a, like squid are like. Uh, as the oceans acidify, squid are going to be the only thing left. We, we got to eat them. I think everyone's okay with squid, but not octopus, which is a weird distinction That's to me. It's arbitrary. They're yeah. just they're, they're, they're monsters. We should eat them. Yeah, anyway. Before they eat us. It's interesting. Um, yeah. But, I'm, hey, I'm out here. I'm eating octopus, and that <laughs> apparently is not going to change because <laughs> uh, the Mediterranean's got plenty of good octopus. Right so. on. Right on. The, one of the best meals of my life was in uh, outside of Porto in Portugal. And it was just the, the, the pile of shellfish. Oh, yeah. Just the mountain of, like, who knows, what, what is this one? I don't know. I'm yeah. going to eat it. No, we're gonna, barnacles we're... everywhere. I guess I'm going to eat the barnacles. Oh, this is fucking good. Yeah, this time next year, it's not going to be a pizza episode. It's going to be a shellfish <laughs> tower. <laughs> A three-tiered shellfish kind of uh, thing. Oh yeah, oh, episode, yeah. and we're gonna be cracking and twisting <laughs> on mic, throwing shells, and 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 getting the 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 field recording of uh, of, the, of the document mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, maybe that can be your next project—a <laughs> sort of shellfish commentary. You can you can pull in a little 400 ppm <laughs> sea acidification yeah, right. kind of theme into it. You know, it, it writes itself. Yeah, I mean. Damn, I really hope seafood doesn't go away, though. That, that would suck. Oh, fish will be gone within our lifetime. Wow. Well, Unquestionably. Shit. I mean, maybe maybe you'll still be able to get, uh, you'll be able to get like, farm-raised, uh, you know, uh, mutant tilapia. And uh, maybe, maybe like, the, the little fish we could still, maybe some what sardines. What about, like, sea snails? See, I think, I, I think those things are going to stick around. I think. Okay. But, but the fish fish, tuna is going to be fucking gone in, like, mm. six months. Mm-hmm. It's got like you know, fucking cod. It's two years from now, there's gonna be no cod. And bacalao keeps for a long time. <laughs> that shit's indestructible. That's true. that's true. So you play your cars right, and you can have bacalao in seventy years. Hell yeah! You just gotta fucking buy enough of it and keep it in a uh, dry environment, the hold of a ship. <laughs> Some master and commander shit. Get your bacalao ship now. Yeah, I do love bacalao. Damn, Master and Commander is a good movie. Did you ever see it? I think I like. I think I saw it when it came, it was like 2003. Is that it right? It was 2003. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like a sort of Twitter meme for a bit. Right, right. But no, it, I, you know, I remember. Yeah, a few, few, like a year or two ago, people got really into it. People were getting Master and Commander pilled. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw it when it came out. I think it was still. I told this story thousands of times, and I probably hundreds of times just on this podcast. But Pirates of the Caribbean three was yeah. my. Uh, uh, at world's end yeah yeah the one that destroyed my faith not just in in uh in hollywood movies but and not that i have much faith in hollywood movies prior to that but it destroyed my faith like utterly in in cinema as a as a as a medium for me it was uh the first avengers movie that that probably is even worse than, I, I can't watch i mean they're both the same thing so <laughs> it's just a couple <laughs> years removed but um but I think Master and Commander was before Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, and th- those are not, I mean, these are not comparable. Comparable no, at of all. Course, of course. Especially, you know, you know me. You Other than being aquatic films. Naval. 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 Um, but, you know, Master and Commander is naval. <laughs> and it's a capital movie. N naval. It's capital N naval. It's Napoleonic. You know, it's during the Napoleonic <laughs> right, era, right. which, if you know me, is a, that's a big one. And, uh, you know, more than anything, it's about two really good friends. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. Beautiful. So. Power of friendship. What could be better? 
and we got the airplanes. So where do you think that plane's going? This is how we're closing the podcast, Dad. Where do you think that plane's going? I have, oh, wait, they're all going to JFK. Never mind. I have no <laughs> sense of space, so you, you could actually tell me anywhere. No, this is the flight path. They're all, they're all going to JFK definitionally or? going to JFK. <laughs> Or would it, is, is that it wouldn't be yeah. going away from JFK? No, no, no of course not. Yeah. This is a flight path <laughs> yes. into JFK, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm cool. I look at maps and shit, I, you know. History, maps, Napoleon. History, maps, yes. Yeah, some personality. <laughs>